I want to talk to you this morning from the subject improper anger management. Improper anger management. The text reveals a serious family crisis involving one of the Bible's most prominent people. David is described as a man after God's own heart. But that does not mean that David's life was free of personal problems. In fact, a survey 
of David's life reveals that despite his public success, he endured much personal pain. The text gives us insight into how important spirituality is to family life and how important family life is to our spiritual well-being. David had several wives and children by many of them, and there was nothing inappropriate about that in that time. However, the fragile nature of the family structure demanded that David give more time and attention to the matter than he did. And David's failure to do this was at least a partial contributor to the tragedy that took place. As Christians, we must give more attention to matters that have the potential for tragedy by our failure to properly attend to them. There's nothing wrong with the call for compassionate social justice as a remedy to America's abundant inequities. There's nothing wrong with demanding safety and security for people on every rung of America's socioeconomic ladder. But as we do that, we must also call for individual accountability as well. In compassion, Jesus says to a hypocritical and violent mob ready to stone a woman caught in the act of adultery, let the one without sin throw the first stone. And no one does. But in a call to individual accountability, Jesus says to the woman, go and sin no more. The charge to the woman to be accountable was just as important as the defense of the woman to the angry mob. My brothers and sisters, what was true then is true now. There is much in America that demands that we cry out for compassion and equity. Racial profiling by law enforcement, environmental racism, the apparent racial discrimination being shown in how we're treating victims of COVID-19, the apparent racial discrimination on display in how we are distributing the vaccine for COVID-19. But as we cry out for justice and equity on one hand, to mitigate tragedy, we must be just as vociferous in demanding accountability on the other. Stop killing one another. Stop selling poison to one another. Stop stunting and fronting one another. Stop making babies that you can't or won't take care of. Stop these deadly turf wars against one another. Stop dragging children into your beefs with one another. If we want to stem the potential for tragedy, then we must be as vigilant in our call for accountability as we are in our call for systemic equity. 
By all accounts, David was a good king. But this text shows us that David was a terrible parent. The tragedy that took place was the result of David's inattentiveness to a family situation. David had a son named Amnon, and Amnon had an inappropriate desire for his half-sister Tamar. Amnon wanted Tamar so badly that he was obsessed with having her. Amnon had a good friend and cousin named Jonadab. Jonadab was David's brother's son, which meant that he was not only Amnon's cousin, but he was Tamar's cousin as well. So you might think that Jonadab would have tried to dissuade his cousin Amnon from his inappropriate thoughts. But instead of dissuading him, Jonadab encouraged him. And church... It's bad enough when we entertain evil thoughts and desires, but it's even worse when we surround ourselves with evil companions who encourage us in our low-down ways. I come to remind us today that it's still important who your friends are. I come to remind us that we can avoid a lot of our problems just by changing who we hang with. Cousin Jonadab helped Amnon concoct and carry out a scheme to take advantage of his sister Tamar. Amnon pretended to be sick, and Amnon got David to send Tamar to care for him in his sickness. And when Amnon got Tamar alone, he raped her. And then, after he raped her, he didn't want to have anything else to do with her. In other words, Amnon did a low-down thing to Tamar and then blamed Tamar for his low-down behavior. Church, that's still going on today. We're still doing low-down stuff and blaming things and people for our low-down behavior. The skirt was too short. The blouse was cut too low. The pants were too tight. He stepped on my toes. He kept eyeballing me. He came at me wrong. I needed the money. It's my mama's fault. She didn't spend enough time with me. It's my daddy's fault. It's the system's fault. Don't blame me. It's not my fault. I was just doing what I had to do to make it. Amnon raped his sister Tamar. He abused her and then treated her like an outcast. She was left to suffer in shame. But in this part of the story, we are told two things. We're told that David was made aware of what his son had done to his daughter, and he did nothing about it. In fact, the text says that because Amnon was the oldest son, David doted on him. Despite 
what Amnon had done to his daughter. And the second thing we are told is that when Absalom found out what had happened, he harbored hate in his heart for his brother Amnon. Absalom made up his mind that he was going to get revenge for his sister. After two years of hatred, Absalom concocted his own scheme. He got Amnon drunk and then put him to death. Absalom ran away and stayed with a friend. And the text says David mourned Amnon's death for a long time. I want you to think about that. There was no mention of David mourning Tamar's rape. There was no mention of David disciplining Amnon's death. There was no mention of David seeking to bring resolution to the strife between Amnon and Absalom and Tamar. Only after Amnon was killed do we read that David mourned his son's death. Now, we have entitled this message, Improper Anger Management to suggest that this entire matter was completely avoidable. People want to blame Absalom for killing Amnon, and, and Absalom was wrong for killing Amnon. But the improper anger management that I'm talking about today wasn't just Absalom's, it was David's. Yes, Absalom was responsible for the evil that he did, but David was Absalom's willful idiot enabler because he refused to deal with the tragedy that launched everything in the first place. He refused to deal with Amnon's rape of Tamar, and now he's mourning because he didn't do what he could have done when he should have done it. David is mourning because he sought relief rather than recovery. Let me tell you something about pain, my brothers and sisters. Pain is not a condition. Pain is a power. And while we can adjust to a condition, you've got to overcome a power. Absalom was hurt, and he saw but one way to relieve his hurt, and that was to hurt the one that hurt him. But David was also seeking relief rather than recovery. Over the same two years that Absalom burned with anger, David existed in indifference. Over the same two years that Absalom plotted, David ignored, believing that if he ignored long enough, the anger would simply go away. It didn't go away. And now David is mourning. Church, can I tell you that preferring relief to recovery is no way to properly manage anger? Blind eyes and deaf ears to suffering only leads to greater suffering. You might find relief for a little while, but then it will come back worse than it was before. Our need is not to relieve hurt. Our need is to recover from hurt if we don't want to experience greater hurt. Absalom spent two years plotting, scheming, and planning. 
David spent two years ignoring, overlooking, and excusing. But I wonder what would have happened if they had spent some time praying. Church, if you want to properly manage angering moments, learn to put them in God's hands. If you're Absalom, every time you feel pain, pray. Every time you feel the desire for revenge, pray. If you're David, instead of ignoring the problem, pray about the problem. Instead of overlooking the problem, pray about the problem. It may take a while, but God will reveal a path to recovery. And that leads to our second point. We can't properly manage anger and leave God out of our relationships. Much of the hurt we experience in the first place comes from leaving God out of too many of our relationships. I want you to look at 2 Samuel 13, and I want you to find any mention of God in the entire chapter. I'll wait. There is the mention of seven human beings, but no mention of God. There is the mention of human emotions, human passion, human desire, human scheming, human cruelty, human violence, human hatred, human anger, human indifference, human embarrassment, human disgrace, human murder, human mourning, and human crying, but there is no mention of God. I want you to hear me today. Whenever we experience that much living and leave God out, you've got a serious problem on your hands. Somebody on the live stream this morning has, has experienced quite a bit of living, and, and you're left wondering what to do about your anger because you've left God out. You're angry with the insurrectionists, and you're angry with out-of-the-closet racists. You're angry with those who use us and discard us. You're angry with spouses who don't love us and children who don't respect us and systems that don't serve us. And while some are plotting their revenge and others are frustrated because indifference isn't working. All of us are struggling because we have left God out. Include God in your passion because you need his guidance. Include God in your desires because you need his self-control. Include God in your planning because you need his wisdom. Don't try to ignore your hurt. You need God to soothe your sorrow and heal your wounds. Whether you are distraught like Tamar or embittered like Absalom, or feigning indifference like David. You'll never properly manage your anger if you leave God out. To Tamar, God says, if you call me, I'll answer. I'll tell you marvelous and wondrous things that you could never figure out on your own. To Absalom, God says, I'm in charge of vengeance and payback. The day of their doom is just around the corner, sudden and swift and sure. To David, God says, it pays to take life seriously. Things work out when you trust in me. When we leave God out of our relationships, we're not properly managing our anger. Well, finally, 
We improperly manage our anger when we cling to what was instead of dealing with what can be. In other words, we can ruin our future by living in the past. There's a difference between living in the human dimension and living in the spiritual dimension. In the human dimension, we live in the past by memory, but in the spiritual dimension, you live in the past by faith. No matter how hard the past has been, know that you've made it. And you need to know that you didn't make it on your own, but God brought you through. And if God brought you through yesterday, God can bring you into tomorrow. Tamar's past was filled with unspeakable violence and cruelty brought on by family. And that's somebody's experience today. Absalom's past was filled with festering hatred that eventually brought about bloodshed, and that's somebody's experience today. David's past was filled with a refusal to administer justice that resulted in magnified pain, and that's somebody's experience today. But if you want to deal with your hurt, you've got to look beyond your hurt to the one who sustained you through your hurt. We've got to look to the one who's promised to lift us out of our hurt. And you can't embrace what God has for you if you won't let go of what God has already brought you through. My brothers and sisters, the world is filled with angry and angering situations. But if we're going to overcome them, then we're going to have to resist using them as an excuse to drop out of life or seek revenge, or relegate ourselves to a place of inactivity. Instead, we have to learn how to use them to propel us to a closer relationship with God. Whatever it is, God brought you through it. Don't live in what God has brought you through. Make up your mind that in God, my tomorrow is going to be better than my yesterday. In God, I know that the past is gone and the future is most uncertain, but if I keep my hand in his hand, he's able to make a way out of no way. He's able to make rough places plain and crooked places straight. He's able to lift up a bowed down head and bind up a broken heart. I'm not going to let my yesterday destroy my tomorrow. I'm going to keep my hand in God's hand. You're going to get angry sometimes. I, I've lived long enough to know that you can't avoid anger. It's going, to, it's going to just happen. Sometimes it hits you out of the blue. You don't even know when it's happening and, and how it's happening. But when it comes, you can deal with your anger by putting your hand in God's hand. Don't just cry about it. There's a time for crying. Don't, don't plan and plot revenge. There's never a good thing about seeking revenge. And don't turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to what somebody did to you. Just put it in God's hands and say, Lord, I want you to help me 
Help me deal with my trial. Help me deal with my tribulation. Help me deal with the one who hurt me. Help me deal with this terrible situation. I'm putting it in your hands. I will not let yesterday destroy my tomorrow. I'm going to keep it in your hands. And I'm trusting you to make everything all right. Lord God, thank you for a word that challenges us about the angering moments of our lives. Help us, dear God, to not be Tamar. Help us to not be Absalom. Help us to not be David. But help us to be the one who learns to put their trust completely in you. Bless this simple word which has gone forth. May it be a help to those who have heard. Now to God, we open the doors of your church. If there's some man, woman, boy, or girl who does not know you in the pardon of their sin or is out of fellowship with your church, we pray that something that has been said or done would touch their hearts in such a way that they would surrender themselves completely to you. We ask in humbly the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake we pray. Amen. that chorus again if you would I will trust in the Lord I will 